Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, we're getting closer and closer to the draft. We've got a big week. We actually have three shows this week. So uh, at the end, don't let me say we'll be back next week. We'll be back later this week. <laughs> we've got we've got three shows, three awesome guests. We're going to be talking uh, NFL draft and these incoming rookies with all three of these guys. How are you, Matt? I am thawing out, believe it or not. <laughs> My son's first flag football game was just about an hour ago finished up in this monsoon and it kept getting colder and colder, and it's supposed to snow again tomorrow. It was like 82 yesterday, and it's supposed to snow tomorrow. And I'm still basically drenched and frozen. I just can't get, can't get warm. That's where, that's where I'm at right now. But I'm ready to talk draft all week, man. This will be fun. Three shows. Yeah, it'll be good. Today, we have, uh, we've got John Moore from Rotoviz. Uh, John, how are you? Hey, Ryan. Hey, Matt. I'm doing great. Thrilled to be on talking prospects with you i'm excited the draft is a couple weeks away my birthday is a couple weeks away and my wedding is a few weeks away so it's an exciting wow. uh, six week stretch we're in right now nice nice that is that is a big time uh for you especially uh, i'm excited to have you on john we've we've had you on before but it's been quite a while back uh, i think you were one of our first uh handful of guests uh, a little over a year ago or a couple years ago and uh, we're glad to have you back I, I was actually looking at some of my notes from your your first visit to us. And I was shocked that we didn't really talk about the phenom index, which is kind of your baby, especially this time of year. And that is why we have you on tonight. Uh, I know this releases this week and we want to talk about kind of the history of, of that metric. And we'll talk about some of these 2018 rookies as well. So we'll, we'll jump right in talk to us about what is the phenom index and, and what really led you to creating this. Yeah, so the the Phenom Index goes back to 2013, which was my first full sort of draft cycle, writing a lot of public content about it. And I remember looking at things, and if you remember, that was a wildly contentious draft, particularly as it pertains to wide receivers, namely DeAndre Hopkins and Cordero Patterson. But during that process, something stood out to me as particularly unusual, which was this wide receiver named Terrence Williams from Baylor, who was 23 years old in his final college season, a full three years older than uh, than Hopkins was, than Keenan Allen was. And I'm a guy that plays a lot of fantasy baseball. And so every spring I, I kind of comb through the different minor leagues and say, okay, you know, who are the really outstanding 20-year-olds in AAA? Who are the really outstanding, you know, 19-year-olds in AA? And I got to thinking about this next to the draft cycle. And I thought, you know, in football, we don't really look at how old guys are. And to me, that seemed like a wildly missed opportunity. And maybe I have a little bit of like personal stake in this because I didn't stop growing personally until I was 22 years old. And so, and I mean, vertically, not horizontally. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I was thinking about this and I was like, man, you know, if, if you're a 19, 20 year old college wide receiver and you're dominating against players who are older than you, there's probably something to that versus, let's say, in the example of Terrence Williams, who put up massive numbers at Baylor, who was 23. You know, maybe maybe there's something here. Um, and so in that, I just started poking around and building different spreadsheets and drawing graphs and doing all that sort of nerdy stuff. And by the time 2014 rolled around, I had enough data to really crunch historical numbers. And what I found was that 
if you if you try to solve for production for a player, let's say two, three years into their career, the most important variable will always be draft position, which is a proxy for opportunity that they're going to get. But after that, really the only two things that remain in the model, uh, at least in a significant way, were age and final season market share of yards. And what I read into that is that everything else, 40 time, number of touchdowns scored, all that kind of stuff that that might get a little more mainstream notice uh, is baked into draft position. Teams are taking that into account. But the fact that these two variables, age and, and final season market share, were still remaining significant separate from overall draft position was telling me that there's something here. So the phenom index is my sort of back the napkin way to figure out guys who are particularly young and particularly good and um, sort of filter them out to to see how the whole class stacks up. John, I think that's really interesting because the year I was scouting with the Browns, I'll never forget that we were, I forget who I was with. I was, we were talking about a, a BYU offensive lineman. And I'm like, man, he's better than I expected. I'm impressed. I want to watch more. And I forget who the older scout was I was with at the time. Basically said, yeah, but you realize he was on a Mormon mission. He's 25 playing against 19 and 20-year-olds. You know, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's important. That's a big deal. John, you mentioned some of the um, some of the statistics and the the times and, and measurements we get from the combine. Some of those things are baked into draft, uh, their draft position, ultimately their draft capital. Do you think age is do you do you get to feel that NFL teams are factoring in a player's age? We I mean, this year we have Calvin Ridley, who we'll talk about uh, in a few minutes at the tight end spot. We've got Hayden Hurst. Both of those guys are I, I don't want to say significantly older than some of the other prospects, but they're certainly getting attention for being older than, than the norm. I have to think that with the football analytics movement, if you will, I, I think that certainly more and more teams have to be taking it into account. I think it would be a massive missed opportunity if they weren't. And I actually had a chance. Uh, so I got to go to the combine last year as part of my role uh, at PFF. And I talked to a few people who, you know, work in front offices, you know, low level uh, kinds of people. And I said, hey, just, you know, sort of off the record, you know, what's what's the thing? And I'm not going to say the team or anything, um, but they said. I'll say this, if there are other teams in the NFL that aren't paying attention to age, we're thrilled that they're not. So I, I certainly think that it's it's a thing that some teams are. And I think they absolutely should be if they if they aren't currently. John, do you, do you think they're looking at it like you're looking at it? Like, wow, this kid at 19 was doing a lot of damage against people older than him, as opposed to like a Hayden Hurst situation. Because I think generally front offices look at it like if we draft this kid in the second round and we can get his entire first contract, good, and then we'll figure it out from there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's a great way to indicate where you put him on your board, but I don't think you don't select the older guy if you're the NFL because people don't last that long anyway. Yeah. And this is a really important point in this, Matt, is that it has nothing to do with NFL shelf life, in my opinion, and from what I've looked at. Instead, it's more of an indicator of how good the player actually is, what you're actually yeah, seeing on right. the field. So you said that much better than I did. Yeah. And so I think in the case of 
of, let's say, Hayden Hurst or Calvin Ridley, um, I, I think you do bring up an interesting point, whether or not the NFL only does it on one end of the barbell. Do they only discount older players, but they maybe don't necessarily give younger players extra credit? Um, that's an interesting possibility to consider. Yeah, and that's that's probably one of those things that we we may not know for a while at least. Um, but uh, definitely appreciate your thoughts there. So we're going to talk about Phenom Index today. You, you've explained a little bit about that. Let's kind of get into the meat of it as far as what you're using to come up with this final score. And, and what is, a I guess, a good score? What are we looking for when we look at your data? Sure. So simply put, um, there's a sort of a mathematical thing called Z-scores, um, which has to do with um, standard deviation and, and average and things like that. Um, so basically, I just create a Z-score for players' age based off the historical average of draft-eligible receivers, which comes in right about 22 and a half. Um, so guys, you know, significantly younger, significantly older would have, um, you know, negative or positive scores. Uh, and then I make a Z-score for final season market share of receiving yards. And then um, I basically subtract the age Z-score from the uh, market share Z-score. So, you, so for example, for a young player, you would be subtracting a negative or adding it. And um, that's kind of how it, it goes together. I know uh, it probably sounds a little bit complicated, but um, you figure that the baseline is sort of zero guys who are increasingly far away from that. So if you get a really uh, a good young player, they might have like a negative one Z score for age and a positive one Z score for market share. And therefore their phenom score would be about a two. And so to bring this into a little bit more practical uh, application, looking at the 2017 top 12 fantasy wide receivers. So your Hopkins, Brown, Allen, Marvin Jones, those kind of guys. Um, the average score for that cohort of top 12 wide receivers was 2.09 based on their phenom index score. Uh, the median was 2.19. Uh, the the lowest score that anybody had that actually belonged to Michael Thomas out of Ohio State at 0.28. And the highest score anybody had was 4.23, which belonged to Larry Fitzgerald. So who would you say are maybe some of your misses over the years? It, it, would Thomas be considered a miss based on, on this system? Yeah. So I have four categories for you. Hits. Uh, hits and misses, and then guys that I like thought would be good and bad within those categories. So, for example, good hits, guys I thought would be good based on the Phenom Index. Allen Robinson, Devontae Adams, Devin Funches, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, those are a few names that, um, particularly the the last few of those, there were a lot, a lot of skepticism, but they broke out um, You know, by the third year of their careers. Guys who I thought would be bad, and so far that has played out. The Phenom Index would have steered you away from guys like this. Um, Philip Dorsett. Braxton Miller, which might be a little early to call, um, and Cordero Patterson, if we sort of retroactively look at it. And then on the other side of the coin, misses, guys who I thought would be good, but have not been good. Uh, Jalen Strong, my heart breaks for Jalen Strong. Um, <laughs> and Farrow Cooper, more recently, he's had a, a good bit of success in the special teams game, um, which is great. And absolutely, a, a, a you know prerequisite to sticking on a roster long enough to be fantasy relevant at the wide receiver position. 
but so far he hasn't obviously done anything in that regard. And then misses in terms of guys I didn't like based on this paradigm. Uh, Michael Thomas from Ohio State would be one, and Kelvin Benjamin would be another. Um, and I've, you know, I've I've learned some things, and I've tried to to incorporate them and get better moving forward from those guys. But uh, yeah, those are a few in each quadrant. Real quick question: I know uh, he's a, he's certainly a favorite on here. I talk about him all the time. I've certainly warmed up to him. Youngest player in the draft last year, Juju Smith-Schuster. I know Ryan's a fan. Was he big on your list? Oh yeah, he was. I bet okay. he was uh, neck and neck with Curtis Samuel for the top spot in the the 2017 edition. That makes sense. I think Juju is a good one to talk about with this, and we'll talk about it with one of the um, incoming rookies as well. But uh, you mentioned that you use final season uh, market share. I, I know in Juju's case, and and one of these uh, these other players that we'll mention soon. They were better as as freshmen, as sophomore. Their their final season wasn't nearly their best. Um, so, what have you found, or I guess, what's your reasoning for using final season rather than best season? Yeah, I'll be honest. It's the phenom index isn't the entirety of my evaluation. It is it is important to to note that, and important to point out that it is not a silver bullet. It's a tool to get you going in the right direction. Uh, honestly, I've come a long way since I first introduced that. And I do have some other things that I like to look at. One of those is breakout age where you, hmm. you know, you find somebody like Juju, um, like some of the guys we're going to talk about here who, um, maybe their, their last season wasn't their best season. And I'm actually working on something now. I, I hope to have out at some point in the next couple of weeks, um, that is essentially NFL success based on when a guy broke out. Uh, you know, different age tiers and also power five versus everything else. So uh, what I can tell you is that is that guys who break out younger and in bigger conferences have a much better track record, which Juju Smith absolutely falls into that category. Hmm. Yeah, it just seems like he was, you know, he was right up there with with Fournette and, and these guys throughout the, the early portion of their career as as far as kind of predicting what 2017 rookie drafts might look like and then he he has I don't know I I don't want to say a disappointing junior season but maybe a quieter junior season and and then he fell in the draft which was a good thing for a lot of us and and you know what I I do want to point out something while we're talking about Juju and also while we're um, you know on the topic of of some misses when I go back and I try to look at some things about Michael Thomas and what in his resume did I not properly account for I think uh, sort of the quality of of the talent around him is something that I, I didn't adequately at the time account for. And I think that uh, that's a miss. And I think Juju had a lot of that for him going on too. So for example, um, Michael Thomas played with eight skill position players during his college career that ended up being drafted. Um, if you look at Juju, I'm trying to find the exact number for you right now, but it's uh, I think his was like seven. Um, uh, actually, excuse me, it was five, but playing with guys like um, Nelson Aguilar, Randall Telfer, Adore Jackson, who saw time on offense, you know, all these guys are highly drafted. Like, you know, that, that matters. And, um, you know, I think that's another component that was probably underappreciated about how good Juju actually was uh, within the context of having great teammates too. 
Do you know who's a great teammate with our podcast, Ryan? <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> our friends over at Harry's, of course. Anyone that listens should know that by now. All of you should be at harrys.com slash dynasty if you aren't already. What the heck are you doing? I've been telling you this for years, even on other podcasts before the Dynasty Blueprint was even created. I have very sensitive skin. I used to just use an electric razor until Harry's fell into my life, and now I am hooked. Harry's stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision. It should be, though. So they created this trial offer. Go get yours by going to harrys.com slash dynasty. Harry's delivers a close, comfortable shave at a very fair price. By selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's can offer their blades at a price much lower than the leading brand. It's only two bucks a blade compared to all the money you're spending at the local drugstore or wherever you're getting your overpriced blades. Quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let Harry know within 30 days and they'll give you a full refund. So you have nothing to lose by trying this trial offer. You get a $13 valued trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, weighted, ergonomic handle, five-blade razor with lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So, listeners of our show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash dynasty. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash dynasty to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. All right, John, let's dig into some of these 2018 wide receivers, and we're going to start at the top for you. And for many of us, that is that begins with DJ Moore, uh, who does top your list. He's also expected to be a top 50 NFL draft pick. Uh, so adding adding that draft capital as well to his to his portfolio. Um, you mentioned that the phenom index is not not your full, um, I guess, your full analysis. So with more topping this list, does he, is he also your top uh, wide receiver prospect in dynasty leagues this year? He is. Uh, and for the record, part of the evaluation in this case has to be the last name. He's got a great last name. <laughs> true. True. Uh, no, <laughs> here's, here's what I love about DJ Moore. Not only does he have the single best phenom index in the 2018 wide receiver class, he has the best Phenom Index score ever. Wow. Uh, How long yeah. have you been doing this? Yeah, I've got data. I've got scores going back to, I think, the 2005 draft class. Oh, and among gosh. combine invited wide receivers, he has the highest score ever. So I am all in on DJ Moore. And what I especially love about him is not only did he go big in his age 20 season, he also had a, a his first breakout last year in his age 19 season. So it's not a one-hit wonder. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, the competition he was going against his program, wasn't anything special, but he had one of the hardest strengths of schedules of any wide receiver in this class. Um, that's something that I love. And when you look at his overall contribution to the team, what I've talked about so far is the receiving, but if you look at, uh, his ability to contribute in the run game, 17 career carries for 7.4 yards per pop. Um, career kick returns over 22 yards per kick return, uh, over 10 yards average per punt return. Uh, he was, and, and I love this. People say, if you look at the numbers, you don't see the whole picture, blah, 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 blah. Here's what I love. little side note about DJ Moore. In five different games in his college career, he threw a pass. Now, 
for a coach to trust somebody again and again and again who doesn't play the position to throw the ball, to put the ball in the air, I think is a tremendous sign for the fact that the coaches trust him, the fact that he understands the plays, the fact that he can make good decisions, all things that you would think don't really come through uh, in numbers, but I think they absolutely do. Uh, you know, as for the the athleticism, uh, you know, across the board, above average athleticism, um, did every drill that he could at the combine. You know, some guys kind of dip and duck depending on what they know they'll do well in. Uh, there's there's very little weakness that I see in DJ Moore's resume. He's my top uh, top wide receiver in this class, top phenom index score, and I, I think the sky's the limit, especially considering he's going to get a good opportunity based on projected draft capital. Wow. Yep. I'm pretty excited about, yeah, I'm excited about more as well. And, and uh, you put it into words, a lot of the reasons why, and I know uh, many are knocking his numbers at Maryland, but uh, I mean, the, the passing game there was just terrible. I think he, I think he had four or five different quarterbacks, um, you know, in his time there. And there, there were just a lot of things I guess going against him and and he he basically overcame all of those to to put up a really impressive resume. Um I want the next four guys the the remainder of your top 5 according to Phenom Index are not guys who are expected to be drafted highly. I'm just going to run through them quickly and we're going to kind of group these guys together. Antonio Callaway, we've we've talked about him as far as the talent along with the the off-field issues, so he's he's a little bit different than these other three. But the other three include Deontay Burnett, one of the youngest prospects in this class, Jordan Lasley from UCLA, and Kiki Kuti. I probably am, am messing that one up, but um, so so those four guys are all expected probably to be day three picks. Um, how do you kind of factor that in? Uh, as far when you're looking at rookie drafts, so these guys, even though they score highly in phenom index, that you're still going to wait until the later rounds of a rookie draft to take, or or would you really be bumping them up significantly? And I think this is really where the beauty of the phenom index comes in, because while other people are, you know, maybe chasing those round three, round four kind of wide receivers who have very low probability, in my opinion, to hit. You keep these guys filed away. You have them on your watch list in your dynasty league and you just watch where they fall. You just keep an eye on them. Um, you know, like you said, they're probably, you know, fourth or fifth round dynasty picks, uh, maybe. Um, but I think when you talk about Antonio Callaway, the the only age 18 breakout in this draft class from a, from a power five school, um, that matters a ton. Um, it, it just, it does. And then you you add in the fact that similar to DJ Moore across the board, he scored rushing, kick return, punt return, passing touchdowns throughout his college career. Uh, just a really unique player. Um, you know, I think I think the other ones like Burnett and and Kuti are both pretty small guys. Um, I, I would expect them to kind of start out their careers um, as reserves, maybe special teams return men. Um, I don't know if I like, I think they're just more wait and see. I think that's the easiest way to put it. And then Jordan lastly, uh, he's a guy that I actually, I, I do really like um, the, the, the fact that um, he had a lot of talent in that UCLA offense over the last couple of years, some of which, you know, he redshirted with some of which he was on the field with. Um, 
but he really was one of the best power five wide receivers in this class in terms of uh, his ability to accumulate yards on a per snap basis um, and carrying the offense in terms of career market share of, of scrimmage yards. He's a guy that I'm, I'm really interested to, to kind of see where he lands. He didn't necessarily test great. Um, the, the name that I kind of jotted down uh, from a couple of years ago, remember Alan Hearn sort of came out of nowhere as a, a sort of um, power five player that went undrafted and then had some success. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Jordan Lastly um, sort of took that same route, not necessarily to the the heights that Hearns, you know, peaked at, but, I think he could be that same kind of player. So have all these guys on the, uh, you know, round four, round five range uh, of your rookie draft boards. But you personally, if you had a, a dynasty draft today, a rookie draft, you might grab a Lasley in the middle of the third, something like that even? I would say that that's probably even a little high. Okay. Um, yeah. And and that's really, again, where the 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 benefit of this is, is, is um, knowing where to throw your late round darts. I hear you. That makes sense. That's probably the, the best way to think about some of these phenom index guys who are are probably going to go undrafted or, or lower drafted. All right, let's move down the down your list a little bit. Um, one of my favorite guys, Equinemia St. Brown. You know, his his 2017 season is is pretty well known at this point that it was um, it it was disappointing. A, a lot of that I like to blame on the quarterback. And, and the offense in general, they, they moved to a run-heavy offense, which was, which was successful for the team, but it, it did hurt St. Brown. I'm, I'm glad he still came out uh, and, and declared for the draft despite that. But even with those poor final season numbers, he, he scores pretty highly on, uh, on your Phenom Index uh, metrics. So what was it that, that kind of carried him? Is it is it that he's a younger prospect or how does that work out? Yeah, that's that's the gist of why he got the bump up. Um, his his market share performance was right about average in terms of final season for drafted players, but his age was more than a full year younger than the average. So it was very much so his age that that carried him. But as we've already hit on a little bit, the fact that he broke out in 2016 in the way that he did, um, is definitely an encouraging sign. And then obviously the measurables are, are pretty impressive too. Um, and so I, I think there's still a lot to like there. I think for me, he's probably um, maybe not in the first tier of my wide receivers, but somewhere in that like five to eight range on my wide receiver board. All right. What about Anthony Miller? To me, I, I was kind of surprised he didn't have a higher score. I, I do know he's, He's one of the older uh, prospects in this class, but it just seemed like every Saturday I, I turned on the games or or, or caught the, you know Sports Center. The numbers that he was putting up were just just crazy. I had to go back and look up some of those. He had five games with over 140 yards. He had four games with 10 or more receptions, uh, and and of course that was just last season. So again, is that uh, age going against Miller and, and pushing him? kind of towards the middle of your list? Yeah, it's it's hurting him on two fronts, Ryan. The first is the final season, which he was past his 23rd birthday. Um, and then the other one is even just his, his breakout age, being 22 from a smaller school. Uh, I'll take you back to last year's draft because, uh, as we mentioned, you got to consider uh, other things than just the Phenom Index score. But guys like uh, Keelan Cole, 
Cooper Cup. Those were guys that came out of smaller schools, but were good for the first time in their age 20 season. Anthony Miller is a guy from a smaller school who, you know, wasn't good for the first time until he was past his 22nd birthday. And for me, that's just, it's a, it's such a long shot that in my opinion, it's not worth your time. If you look at the drafts between 2008 and 2015, there are about 50 guys who broke out from small schools that were invited to the combine. And only one of them has gone on to post a top 24 fantasy season. So, wow. To be clear, I really like, like, I like what Miller has going on. It's just, if he had done it at age 20 and 21, instead of 22, 23, it would be a different story. But for me, uh, he's a good player, had a great college career, but I just, I, I won't be taking him anywhere. What if he did it at Ohio State? Would that change? I mean, if, if he had the same career, but at a, a higher level school, would that change your tune at all? Yeah, yeah, it would. A little bit. Yeah, because I mean, that was... Um, you know, not quite to the degree, but that's like kind of what Michael Thomas did. I think his his breakout was 21 and then his final season was 22 and, um, you know, had just a loaded offense. And uh, yeah, so it, it, it would change a little bit if it were at a bigger school. But with the with the smaller one, um, just can't go there. I hear you. OK. So, John, I had to check out uh, the rookie ADP at DLF. Anthony Miller is currently the 23rd player, so looking like a end-of-the-second-round pick right now. And, of, of course, that will certainly change once we know landing spots and draft capital and things like that. Uh, but I take it you wouldn't be willing to spend any second-rounder any second rounder on him? No, and honestly, a lot of these kind of guys just don't even end up on my rookie draft board. Um they're not again they're not bad players but just I think about this very much from an odds perspective and if I can make my odds of hitting four or five times better by simply avoiding players like uh Cedric Wilson or Anthony Miller or Trey Quinn um I I will it sounds like it's almost like you're looking at a Vegas uh, lines bet. You know, it's week 15 and you look at all the games and you're like, okay, I'm going to bet on this one. I'm going to bet on this one. I'm not even going to bother betting either side to this one. I'm just not going to put any money on it. Exactly. Makes sense. All right. I'm interested to hear your take on this next guy. Uh, you recently mentioned on Twitter that once again, you're a fan of a, a Penn State wide receiver. We know about uh, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin in the, in the past years. Uh, I'm I'm assuming that's Deshaun Hamilton this year. He's been moving up my ranks as well. But on this on this phenom index, I've I've becoming concerned now. He's actually one of the players with a negative score. And and I know you mentioned in one of your previous articles in in the past years that most players with a negative score, it, it's yeah. very rare very rare for them to ever become uh, fantasy relevant. Yeah, it it is it is. Um, here's where, here's where this comes from. Okay. So we talked about breakout age. Deshaun Hamilton is, is one of four players, uh, from the power five to break out in his age 19 season. The other three, you probably are pretty high on DJ Moore, Christian Kirk, and James Washington. Deshaun Hamilton's the fourth of that cohort. Um, that's a cohort that I really like to target. And, uh, even if some of the other things aren't where I'd like them to be, um, you know, when it comes down to it late in a rookie draft, um, Deshaun Hamilton is a kind of guy that I would 
I would take a flyer on again over, um, you know, strategy wise, I would let other people take an Anthony Miller or, uh, you know, some of those other guys I mentioned in and around two round three, whereas I would be thrilled to grab Deshaun Hamilton, say in the fourth or whatever round it might be of, of a rookie draft. So um, yeah, he, he's not, he's not a hell yeah, but he's the kind of guy and I'll throw out a few names for you. Um, like a Jermaine Curse, a Jarrett Boykin, last year D'Angelo Yancey, Leonard Hankerson, those kind of guys that are not going to be superstars, but if they get an opportunity that they could absolutely come through and deliver in those opportunities, um, you know, in in stretches, and you know, maybe you get lucky and and you have more than just a stretch. Ryan, is he going that late in rookie drafts? I mean, I kind of look at him as like a late second, early third type value. Um, he, he is right now 34th player off the board. So that, that late third round range, um, and, and that's probably where I see him landing. Uh, I, I would take him earlier than that as well. But John, do you think it's the case? You mentioned this earlier with Michael Thomas in his time at, at Ohio state. And, and I've heard other people mention it, especially as, as Hamilton was having a pretty solid combine, you know, in that offense, it was all about Saquon Barkley. Um, and, and somehow if Barkley wasn't getting the attention, it was Mike Gusecki and, and they've got this quarterback that, uh, you know, McSorley, I'm, I'm not quite sold on as far as, uh, his future in the NFL, but I know some people like him, especially as, as that college quarterback and, and Hamilton was just far, far down the line. So do you think it's kind of a similar case, uh, as, Absolutely. as what Thomas dealt with? Yeah, based on my count, he's going to have six teammates from his college career get drafted with an average pick of about 70th overall, those being uh, Saquon, Gusecki, Godwin, Hackenberg, Jesse James, and Allen Robinson. Um, and I think Robinson would have been his, his redshirt year, but all, this, you know, all the same, still in the program with those guys. Um, yeah, and, and so that's, that's where that comes up of considering the environment in which he was maybe suppressed a little bit, but still showed that that talent early in his career and sustained a significant role throughout his career. I, I got to ask you one thing that, you know, you, I think it's a really cool point in the way you phrased it about how like Juju and Hamilton and Thomas played with all these other pro, you know, pro players that are obviously going to demand a chunk of the pie. But I wonder if you go back and, see the guys that came after him that they played with, you know, because there's really talented guys younger than them too. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's something that I've kind of gone back on forth the extent to which I should do that. <clears throat> my, my problem with doing that is twofold. One is that uh, uh, if you, if you come into school ahead of somebody and you're really that good, you should probably hold them off. Um, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, like generally speaking. So that's that's part of it. The other if part of Bama it. Bama brings the best receiver in the nation. It brings in Julio. He's going to play, you know. Sure, sure. Um, the other part of it, and this is probably the more practical part, is that I can't add in somebody in this year's projection who's going to get drafted next year. Right. I don't uh, know how you do it, Matt. Matt you know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and my concern, yeah, so, so qualitatively, yes, considering Maybe. that is important. Yeah. For me to be able to quantify it like I want to, um, I can't do that yet. And so that's why I'm sort of limited to current year or previous years, not necessarily guys that will sure. be in future drafts. John, we've already mentioned Calvin Ridley from Alabama. Most people view him 
um, at least from an NFL draft perspective, as the wide receiver one in this class, fantasy players and, and dynasty owners aren't quite as sold, uh, it seems. And one of the big reasons for that is his age, as we talked about earlier. You had the 2015 article where you uh, talk about how we should have different standards for players that are older. So uh, despite Ridley's age, he did score fairly well. He was at least in the positives. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure most of that is due to uh, his market share and his numbers. So how, how are you viewing Ridley as the draft approaches? Yeah, and thank you for bringing this up because I, I did want to add some color here. All this talk about age and everything, just because a guy is older doesn't mean that he can't be good. It just means that the expectation for him is higher. And so, for example, uh, you know, Ridley, the reason that he still scores pretty well despite his advanced age is the fact that he was pretty darn good last year. Um, <laughs> and so so that's, that's one thing to think about. Um, I, early on, and I didn't explain this well enough, People were like, oh, people came at me with, so you're saying that just because a guy's old, he automatically can't be good. No, he can be good. They just have different expectations. Um, what I like about Ridley, and and I had to kind of go back through and find historical, I guess, references for this, um, because he's certainly not the first older high school prospect uh, and therefore older college prospect. Um, I thought it was interesting AJ Green was actually uh, not too much younger, relatively, um, compared to Calvin Ridley. He came in, had an immediate breakout in his first college season, maintained that high level of play, was drafted highly, and you know obviously has had a great career. So there's there's precedent there for Ridley to be good and to matter. Obviously, he comes from a loaded program. Um, you know the the fact that for his career is, you know, over the three season, he's at 30% of his team's receiving yards. Like that's, that's really outstanding. Um, I think for me where I come in though, is that I just, I don't know if I would, I personally wouldn't draft Ridley pretty much no matter what. Um, there are just going to be other guys that I like that I, I can get for cheaper than him. And I feel like have lower risk than Ridley. Um, but if you love where he lands and, and, you know, you think that he's sort of that AJ green kind of talent, uh, that's, you know, that's your call for me. I would rather, again, aim for those cohorts of 18, 19, 20 year old breakouts from the, from the power schools and, uh, and, and let Ridley go some somewhere else. So you'd prefer the Kirks and Washingtons and yes. St. Browns and Sutton and like that crew. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's find out if Ridley is going to go in our first round this time. Uh, John, as, as we've done the past few episodes, we're going to end the show with a one round rookie mock draft. And I don't know if you've heard our past couple shows, but it was suggested that we we make our guests go third, give him the hard choice. So that's what we're going to do today with you. We we had been giving them the easy 1.01 choice, but we're going to uh, continue to switch that up. So I'm taking that Thanks. easy pick. Yeah. Ryan, I'm still mad at you, though, for last podcast. You should have made Waldman pick first and see if he really would have taken Chubb over Barkley. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> talks cheap. Let's see what he. We down. we let we let Matt off easy. All <laughs> right, 
So I'm, I'm of course, taking Saquon Barkley with the first overall pick. We'll let Matt go second. Yeah, and I'll take Geis. I mean, uh, we've done this a couple times. I've picked second a couple times. I'm going to take Geis every time. All right. So, John, 1.03. Of course, uh, plenty of running backs and all the wide receivers available. But you guys aren't going to let me get my guy at six, though, are you? Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> why they play the games uh, these have been running back heavy and and john i know you've um kind of taken a step back a little bit from um from fantasy in general taking a little bit of a break most people seem to think these top five picks uh will all be running backs in dynasty rookie drafts so i'll I'll just throw that out there okay well here's what i'm gonna do though okay all right because I didn't come on this show to tout DJ Moore as the highest <laughs> phenom index score ever. And then pass on him. I didn't come on this show. And, and I want to I want to make a point, and this is one that I, I we haven't made yet. This is probably the shallowest wide receiver class in the last five years. So if you're talking scarcity and you're talking premium, premium wide receiver prospect. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to buck the trend and I'm going to take my guy last name, last name, more first name, greatest. Uh, <laughs> give me, give me DJ Moore. Give me Avery Williamson next. No, no, no. <laughs> he's, he's a Kentucky boy though. So that would be a good pick. I guess you'd like him too. So John, let me, Malik McDowell. Yeah. John, let's go back to more for a second and, and maybe we should have done this we should have done this during our conversation about him. You said he had the highest uh, phenom index uh, over your time of, of tracking that. How are you comparing him to some of those other players who have had high scores? I mean, based on what you've, the work you've done so far and what you've seen of, of him and these other players, I mean, do you think he's, do you like him more than Juju? Do you like him more than Amari Cooper who had a high score and, and guys like that? Yeah. I mean, he's, I guess for context, yeah, this is a good point because hearing that he's the best is one thing. Sort of understanding the the echelon of players that he's in is probably um, probably helpful. The next couple guys behind him on the list are Allen Robinson, Demarius Thomas, Larry Fitzgerald, Des Bryant, Kenny Britt, Amari Cooper. Like he's ooh, yeah, that's yeah. a nice company. Not bad. Yeah. So (laughs) he's, I would be very surprised if DJ Moore didn't end up being a pretty high end player uh, within the first contract of his NFL career. Yeah. Of course, with, with recent news uh, late last week of the Cowboys cutting Des Bryant, we've seen multiple mock drafts projecting uh, DJ Moore to the Cowboys in the first round. And, and that would, you know, that would set him up. That would allow him to to crash that top five party. Um, and we would not see five running backs uh, going in the first five picks. It would be, it would look probably just like this with more uh, going up to that 1.03 spot. All right. In this case, though, it's, it's up to me at 1.04. I'm going to stick with my board and take Nick Chubb at the four spot. Yeah, I'll and- gladly take Sony Michelle at five. And I should mention this earlier, too. I do have my rookie rankings up at williamsonfootball.com. Check those out. I, I've been updating them every week. I keep changing. Every time we have a guest on, I move things around. 
You'll have to do that a lot this week. All right, 1.06. Uh, John, back to you. I'm going to go with Rashad Penny. I, uh, I've i done some running back research this year. I did a lot, I guess, a year ago um, in, in preparation for this upcoming class. It's definitely a monster. And he's a guy that, that I like, that people I trust likes. Uh, and so I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I was actually surprised. We did have Matt Waldman on last week, and we asked him if he thought this was – uh, I guess how this running back class compared to uh, some of the previous in, in recent years. And, and he said far and away the best class he's seen in, in several years. I was uh, despite knowing what we're dealing with here, I was, I was still surprised to hear that. All right. 1.07 for me, I definitely would have taken Penny there. I like him. Um, I think I'm going to go, Ooh, this is, this is where it gets tricky. We might be at the end of a tier. Here. I'm going to go with Cortland Sutton, who was kind of middle of the pack in your Phenom Index uh, score. We didn't didn't get to mention him. Any quick thoughts on Sutton? He checks a ton of boxes, but I'm still he's not a hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he was for me and for a lot of uh, a lot of other dynasty players, Devi players especially. He was a big name over the past uh, year or two, and it seems like the um, you know, we're, we're starting to to point out all these flaws as we always do at this time of year. And I think there's some concern uh, popping up on Sutton. All right, Matt, 1.08. Yeah, Ronald Jones is like that for me, too. I mean, I seem to get him every time we have a podcast. I, I seem to end up with Ronald Jones. And I always say, I don't really excited about this one. I try to trade out, but I'll take him. But the more I learn about him, the less I like him, too. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to be falling. Um, John, back to you, 1.09. All right, so I'm going to there, – there are a couple of guys that we didn't get a chance to talk about, and then I'm going to use this as a chance to talk about. Uh, I'm going to go with Christian Kirk, and it's, for me, sort of between him and him and Washington here. Those are two guys that I really love. Um, the thing that I want to point out about Kirk that is just – so utterly ridiculous. Uh, there's an article that I wrote a couple of years back about the value of uh, special teams contributions. And for Christian Kirk's career, to return six punts for touchdowns, to average 22 yards per punt return over his, over his career in the SEC is just stupid. There are, there are first round prospects wide receivers who regularly return kickoffs who do not average 22 yards per kickoff, never mind 22 yards per punt. So Kirk's another guy in that age 19 power school breakout cadre. Um, and I just, I love his all around contributions. I, I don't necessarily care. He, he wasn't in the home run at the combine, but I think he was good enough, especially kind of considering his build and I love how strong he is. So I'm going to go with Kirk here. Just think about that for a second though. You're, a a special teams coach playing a and m and you punt to them nine times and on average you pick up like 18 yards of field position on a 40 yard punt like oh great that was really helpful why not just go for it yeah. I, I think <laughs> the thing with kirk is and i i haven't looked at breakout ages lately i'm assuming his has to be pretty young because um i mean it felt like he was at a and m forever he yeah, he made it yeah, he made an impact pretty much right away. I almost feel like 
maybe we're just taking him for granted or maybe because he is, he is a name and maybe that, maybe that's what happened with um, Juju last year that we just kind of got tired of hearing about him and he was old news and, and we were more interested in Richard Penny or uh, DJ Moore, or maybe these guys we haven't followed since they were high school recruits. Uh, so I, I think Kirk is, is a great pick at nine. Um, and he Ryan, he's been linked him. to Dallas a lot. What if he ends up in Dallas in the first round? Oh, same thing. I mean, he would yeah. right, right now he's kind of fringe first rounder as far as our ADP goes. Um, he would he would push into that it, one seven, least, one yeah, six, yeah. At least the middle of the first. Um, one ten for me, my last pick. I'm gonna take the other guy that John mentioned, James Washington. Uh kind of a slam dunk pick for me here. I, I actually almost took him over Sutton at seven. So uh James Washington at ten uh is is a great value. Matt, one eleven, your last pick. Yeah, I still think he's another guy I end up with every time. I'll take Calvin Ridley. He always seems to fall on these things. I think he's really good. Well, you knew uh, you knew John wasn't going to take him. You pretty yeah. much knew I wasn't going to take him. You could you could save him for that eleven pick. Uh, John, we'll let you finish up at the one twelve pick. Well, and that was sort of my angle by taking more at three because I was guaranteed to get a running back at six. So yeah, perfect. <laughs> right, right there you go. Um, I'm gonna go with Royce Freeman. He's a guy that I was like over the moon for uh 18 months ago maybe and he had that down season and and i think tony brooks james got in there and they, they, people were just were like ah you know i don't know about royce but i think for me uh big backs like that that i just have the kind of production have the kind of profile i'll take them bottom of the first and i'll get out of here with with more kirk and uh and penny and and freeman yeah, Freeman's another guy just like just like Kirk, except he actually stayed all four years. So uh, he he made an impact right away as a true freshman at Oregon and another guy we've just been hearing about. And and then when you factor in West Coast bias and he's kind of a bigger back, those are things that uh, can go against a prospect. So he's he's been following maybe more than uh, than he should have. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us. Great stuff. Um Love the love the phenom index and really all the data and all the information you bring to the fantasy community. And glad you're uh, you're stepping back with us. Uh, tell all our uh, listeners where they can find your work. The best place to find me is on Twitter at hello John Moore, and that's J O N. And yeah, the so we're recording this on Sunday night, the fifteenth. The article will be up on Monday, uh, and so you can check it out then. And that'll be at Rotoviz, correct? It will be at rotoviz.com. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thanks again to John. And we'll be back later this week with another guest. We'll talk more NFL draft.